Open your Bibles back to the book of Ecclesiastes. How many of you had, of you had never studied Ecclesiastes at all before this camp? Now, that's not surprising. It's one of those books that I think is a hidden treasure, and it's particularly a hidden treasure for those of you who are junior high, senior high, college. It's just the perfect book to get ready for life. We have skipped so much in this book. Please go back. Study it on your own. There are some great commentaries you can get. Someone asked me about that. Let me, let me just give you one little book that I think will help if you want to go back and study this by yourself. It's called Total Life. It's a commentary on Ecclesiastes. Total Life by Walter Kaiser. K-A-I-S-E-R. And so many of you asked, I wanted to make that public announcement. If you want to get one book, Total Life by Walter Kaiser. He really gets his arms around the whole thing. It's a shorter book, and it would be a great thing for you to study. Maybe get a group of people to go through that book in its entirety. We have a uh, part of our ministry at, back at Grace Church called Resolved. It's uh, a conference that we do once a year, and it's built off a 19-year-old named Jonathan Edwards who got his life oriented toward the glory of God and began to write out his commitments in a series of what he called resolutions. And each one, of, each one of them started with the simple word, resolved, resolved to do this, resolved to do that. 1722 is when he did this, 19 years old. The very first resolution sets the tone for all 70 that follow. Listen to what he says. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own good, profit and pleasure, in the whole duration, my whole duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so myriads of ages hence. You say, what is he talking about? He's saying, regardless of time, energy, anything, I'm going to make the decisions in the moments of my life, which decision am I, about, am I about to make that will give more glory to God? Listen to the second one. Resolved to be continually endeavoring to find out, I like this, some new invention or contrivance to promote the glory of God. He said, I'm resolved to find some contrivances, some inventions to remind myself to be devoted to the glory of God. That's what this camp is. It's an invention that we pull aside, kind of stop life for a week, and reorient ourselves toward God and toward His glory. The book of Ecclesiastes is also that kind of book. It's a pause button in the Bible, where you punch pause and you just stop and think about your life. The wisest man to ever live, Solomon, Wrote this book at the end of his life after he crashed, after he crossed that lake, dried himself off, warmed himself up, sees us going back across that thin ice with the obvious holes that he'd fallen into, telling us, don't go the way I did, and teaching us the lessons he learned in the pursuit. It's really about getting old. Now, I know you don't think much about getting old at your age, but you're getting older and older by the day. And just wait till you get in college and you start uh, finding parts of your body that you never knew existed, like little parts of your knee joints. That you say, boy, that was never there before. 
and your ankles start hurting. You know how you feel right now after a full, full uh, week of competition? That's how you start feeling every day of your life. Isn't that encouraging? If I can capture the thought of Solomon and put it into a how-to formula, it would be this. How to live a life of no regrets. We began the week talking about a life of regrets. Lessons from a life of regrets. That was Solomon. He concludes this book by teaching us how to live a life where you'll come to the end and have no regrets. Jonathan Edwards, my historical hero, put it like this in his 17th resolution. Resolved that I will live so I wish I shall wish I would have lived when I come to die. How can we do this? How can we live a life of no regrets? We're going to look into my favorite section of this book this morning. And with that visual understanding, we're going to have a reflection in our soul, I hope, and make two resolutions for living a life of no regrets. Two resolutions for living a life of no regrets. Following in the idea of Edwards to make resolutions. The first one is in chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Resolve to redeem the prime of life. Resolve to redeem the prime of life. To redeem means cash it in. The prime of life means the best time of life. He begins this resolution for our own conscience and soul in verse 7. The light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. This is an amazing scripture. Now let me take you uh, way back to the introduction of, of the book. Some think that Solomon was, was a pessimist. That he just looked at life and he had a sour view of it. It's kind of like the guy who's you know, uh, out, up, standing on the bridge about to jump in the river. The policeman pulls up and says, stop, don't do it. And he says, no, I want to do it. There's nothing worth living for. And the policeman says, if you'll give me five minutes to tell you what there is to live for... Will you not jump? He said, only if you'll give me five minutes to tell you why I am going to jump. Policeman gave him all the reasons he shouldn't jump. After the man gave him the five minutes, both of them jumped. It's a pessimistic view of life. (laughs) Then there's the eternal optimist. It's like the guy who jumps off the Empire State Building. He's going down. He's at at the uh, 75th floor. says, hey, so far so good. Well, that's overly optimistic and unrealistic. Solomon is not a pessimist. Solomon is not an optimist. You know what Solomon is? He's a realist. He looks honestly and really at life. And here at the apex, as he begins to conclude this amazing book, this really, it's a sermon is what it is. I think the most uplifting and inspiring counsel in the entire Bible is contained in these verses. But let's pick it apart. Verse 7. Solomon uses a word picture that he'll continue to paint throughout the closing verses of the book. Light and darkness. Light here is a metaphor for life, just as darkness in the next verse and in chapter 12 will be a metaphor for death. He uses the two words to describe, uh, two words rather here, to describe life. Sweet 
and good. Life is sweet, life is good. The word for good is really general, much like our word for good, but the word pleasant or sweet is very specific of the most delicate, delicious delights. It's used in Judges 14, 4, 14 of the same thing. These two words come together to imply that life is not only good, but life is to be savored and enjoyed with enthusiasm. Kind of like your favorite dessert. Verse 8. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice, enjoy, savor all of them. And also, um, footnote, let him remember that the days of darkness are coming and there'll be many. You know what he's saying? The days of darkness are death, the days of light are living. Remember, get this, remember, you're going to be dead longer than you're going to be alive. Therefore, enjoy life while it's here. He's not saying that heaven won't be great. He's just saying that what you have in this life is only in this life. Delight in all those days. Notice that we are to rejoice. The passive verb. We'll come back to this. Two warnings in this verse. The constant threat of death makes our pursuit of joy and happiness an urgent matter. Do it now. And to remember that you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. Life doesn't yield its joys very easily. You have to pursue them hard. Which is why we come to the next verse. Solomon's going to tell you, explore your world. Explore your world. Enjoy it. This might be the most encouraging thing you've ever found in the Bible. Verse 9. Here it is. Rejoice, young man, during your youth or childhood, during your younger days. And let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And guess what? Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. That, my friends, is a life verse. God is commanding you, get this, He's commanding you to enjoy life. Anybody have any problems with that verse at all? That's, that's good stuff. From the lips of King Solomon and the mind of Holy Spirit, don't worry, be happy. Thank you very much. We're told to pursue such happiness when we're young. How young? Well, the Hebrew is not descriptive, so the idea is enjoy it while you're younger than you are when you're going to be older, which is today. Do it no matter what your age is. And the text says, in order to do this, get this, follow the impulses of your heart. Do what you want to do. This word has to do with your feelings, your, uh, your resolutions. And follow the desires of your eyes. The eyes are the instrument of the heart. The eyes are the periscope for the heart. They, they look at what the heart wants, it to, wants them to look at. One of the reasons God gave us sight is to see what there is in His world to enjoy so we won't miss it. We have um, what we call Donut Saturday in our house. Sometimes it's Pancake Saturday. But we typically go, the boys can go to the donut shop, pick out whatever they want. Now, you want to have fun. Get us 7, 9, and 11-year-olds to go up to that glass window and look with their nose right on Whatever you want, you can get. And it's amazing how the bakers make it look 
so good. Donuts are one of the only things that actually taste as good as they look. It's amazing. Praise God for donuts. Amen? He made the world to be enjoyed and the eyes to see what can be enjoyed. Like you get that handmade, custom-made dozier knife, that hunting knife. And I, I've been caught by my wife and my kids. They come in my, my study in my, in my house, and, and I'm down there, and I'm supposed to be doing other things, and I'm just looking at my knife. We had our guitar player, Ian, who's in our um, uh, Crossroads band. He's over at my house a few months ago, and he one, he said, I've heard about your knife. Let me see your knife. Okay. So I give him my knife, and I said, Ian, that's the sharpest knife you've ever held. You don't understand. Ian, that is the sharpest knife you've ever held in your life. Made a D2 steel, cut to a fine edge. And he goes, yeah, right. And sliced his thumb wide open, and the joy I had in my heart <laughs> was so fun. I'm like, that is, I told you. His face, he was just going, and when he went sliced, he went, all the blood left his face and went out his thumb. <laughs> Enjoy life. Take a hike. Eat a cheeseburger. Go to the beach. Life with a bounty day. Eat a Krispy Kreme donut when it's hot. Have biscuits and gravy. Not that kind. The kind that my mom made. My mom, there's no other way to say it than the way my dad taught me to enjoy my mom's biscuits and gravy. My mom made these bisquick biscuits that were so good. Buttermilk based. So good. Thank you very much. I hear an amen. You could put them on top of your head and your tongue would slap your brain silly trying to get after them. (laughs) Why is it when you talk about enjoying life, it always goes back to food? (laughs) But, however, look at the last part of the verse. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Time out. Hang on. Did you see that? Was, was that a bait and switch? Did God say, hey, go do everything you want to. When you finish, I'll kill you for it. God's not baiting and switching. You know what he's doing? It's very simple. He's saying, enjoy life inside the covers of that book. Enjoy life inside the parameters, inside the boundaries of what he's commanded. Everything inside there is not only legal, it's encouraged, it's commanded. Everything outside of God's morals and God's standards is to be avoided. He's not saying enjoy and then get judged for it. He's saying enjoy anything you wouldn't get judged for. And guys, Here's the lie of the world. The the world will tell you that you cannot enjoy life until you enjoy their pursuits. And the Bible says you can't really enjoy God until you enjoy Him as a pursuit. All of our joys and pursuits of pleasure and happiness are to be controlled by the knowledge of God and God's coming judgment. Verse 10, so, say what? Remove grief and anger from your heart. Put away pain from your body. Because youth and childhood and the prime of life are vanity. They're fleeting. They're going away. He's saying, get ready for the judgment. Students, there's nothing in the world more important for you to do than to prepare to meet God 
the judge. Romans, excuse me, Hebrews 4.13. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Him with whom we have to do. Romans 14.10. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. The most important thing you can do is prepare for the coming judgment. He's saying don't work so hard that there's no time to enjoy life. But don't play so hard that you're irresponsible with life. That's how you begin to live a life of no regret. There's another command here. It's to put away something. Put away vexation or pain, anxieties, troubles. How do we do that? What do we remove in verse 10? Solomon is telling us to put away anything that will bring us disfavor in the final judgment. He's telling us to consider what we're sowing because we will reap in the end. Even if we don't reap during this life. Furthermore, there's an urgency here. Remove, hurry, an urgency. Why? Because the prime of life is fleeting. You're getting older. You're growing up. You'll never have this time again. I remember telling a, a freshman in college, uh, we had a time at our house, and similar to what we had with um, the incoming seniors, uh, incoming freshmen yesterday at lunch. Had them over at my house, and I said, uh, so you know what, this is the best time of your life. And I made the statement, you have more um, income Spendable income, disposable income, and more time right now during college than you'll ever have the rest of your life. And these guys, are, I'm looking at, they're, they're looking at me going, you are stupid, pastor. More money than I think, than I'm going to make in the big, big bucks later? Come on. More time? Are you kidding me? Have you seen my midterms? About a year later, after one of the staff guys was there, and he graduated... He came back and he said, I had no idea how much money and time I had back in college. You get things like mortgages and wives are expensive. And if you think wives are expensive, add a couple of kids to that. You know, it's, um, I won't go into it. The, the shoes bother me. Can I just be a parent and complain for a second? Students, you can, parents, can we just talk for a minute? It's shoes. Why do we have to buy shoes every month? And shoes don't hand me down very well. Number one, they stink. Number two, they're worn out. You just don't keep handing those down. Why in the world can't they make shoes out of the same stuff they make our tires and our car after so they last for a lot of miles? I feel much better. What is it that you need to remove in your life, your young life, that will reap disastrous consequences in your future and make you stand ashamed before the judge? Many of the choices you make as a young person will be irreversible. And the heart of Solomon here is simply saying, don't do anything morally, physically, spiritually that will prevent you from enjoying life when you're old or enjoying the judgment when you face the Savior. Don't let the pleasures of your youth become barriers to God and eternal values. Stay inside the boundaries and life's fun. Can you imagine playing ultimate frisbee? I saw some of you guys playing that. Playing ultimate frisbee, and the first thing you do is say, "What are the boundaries?" Say there are none. I'm going to go around the world. I'm going to go to China and come sneak up behind you. Can you imagine going up and 
just humor me for a second if you don't live there, but in downtown L.A., just imagine, you go in downtown L.A. with no traffic signals. <laughs> Boundaries are good. They allow you to enjoy life. Learn to love the boundaries. And get this, learn to play in the middle of the field, not at the boundaries. I'm a parent of three boys that are growing up with the same sin nature I had, have. I hear Kim saying this all the time. To them, and I hear it and I think of my own life. Are you staying as far away from sin as you can. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean to do this. That's because I know you didn't mean to, but you were, you were close to sin, which made it easy to sin. If you had stayed far away from sin, then you would not have sinned. Are you staying as far away as possible? I get asked all the time as a college pastor, dating relationships, Rick, how far can we go? Well, you mean like down the streets or... No, no, like, you know, her, me, far. How far can we go? Like physically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, can we, can we hold hands? Can we intertwine fingers when we hold hands? Can we rub thumbs when we hold hands? Can we sit together and rub shoulders? Can I put my arm on the shoulder? Can I put my arm around? Can we side hug? Can we A-frame hug? Can we full hug? Can we kiss on the cheek? Can we kiss on the lips? Can we kiss in a foreign language land? Can we? And it goes on. You know what that question is asking? Here's what you're doing when you ask that question. You're saying, there's immorality, there's fornication, there's going all the way right there. Boom, I can see it. When you say, how far can I go? You're saying, how far, how close can I get to sin and not blow it? You know what the right question is? It's not how far I can go. It's how holy can I be? How holy can I be? How far can I stay away from sin? Let me give you a second resolution. Enjoy life. Enjoy it because it's fleeting. Number two, resolve to recognize the giver of life. Resolve to recognize the giver of life. He says, first of all, in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That's now for you. Remember your creator. Here's what Jonathan Edwards said about this. If you put it off, remembering your creator, if you put it off, even intending to do so for a little while, I like this, Ten to one, you'll put it off until youth is past. And ten to one, you'll put it off till life is past. The Hebrew in this is very, very descriptive. Remember now your creator. The joy, freedom, happiness of following your desires is not to be dampened by the knowledge of coming judgment, but controlled by the coming judgment. Three options for your belief regarding the Creator. Materialistic evolution, which is nobody plus nothing equals everything. Boy, that's smart. Nobody plus nothing equals everything. Okay. 
or theistic evolution. God just kind of started the evolutionary process and walked away. Or third, divine creation by a creator. God made the universe just like the Bible says. Isn't it interesting here that he doesn't say remember God? He doesn't say remember the Savior. He doesn't say remember Lord. He says remember specific personal, your creator. The God who created you. You only have a couple of choices. Understand and live within the boundaries of God's moral standards and gain the meaning of life. Or live according to your own standards and forfeit the meaning of life because you're ignoring the creator of life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because God is the creator, it gives him the right to be judge. It's interesting also... I won't get bogged down on this, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says you'll know that the end of time is near when they mock the creator and the creation. I think he's speaking about evolutionary theory in that verse. And that we're very close to the Lord coming back because people are mocking and saying, look, it's just been this way as it always has been. Day comes after night, night comes after day, over and over, keeps going. Nobody created this place. It's just always been here. Evolution is perhaps the most elaborate and well-received lie in Satan's career. Why? Because if he can get you to believe that no one created this place, then you're not accountable to anybody for anything. The days of your youth, the prime of your life, your age, your generation. Can I give you a few quotes from uh, my... Spiritual great-grandfather Jonathan Edwards again. They who dedicate themselves entirely to God early in their lives give their whole lives to God, which must be more acceptable to Him than those who dedicate only a small part at the latter end after they have given the greatest parts of their lives to sin and to Satan. He goes on. Ordinarily, those persons who seek salvation in their youth haven't done so much to harden and stupefy their hearts as others will have done. They haven't sinned so often against their consciences. The more often acts of sin are repeated against the conscience, the more softness there is to sin in the conscience. Those who sin against conscience haven't stood out and bore it so many against so many warnings and awakening sermons. They've sat in their sermons and not done anything about what their conscience was condemning them of. And stood against so many awakening providences, small group discussions. If persons stand out against them, over against them, it stupefies their heart and hardens their heart against the awakenings. I like what he's saying. The longer you, you postpone dealing with God, the harder it is to deal with God. Then he goes, uh, he goes on to say, look, recognize your brevity. That from the middle of verse uh, 1 uh, through verse 8, he gives a category of how, categorization of how life slips away so fast. Do it before the evil days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. 
deal with God now before you get older and you don't have any joy in life. Edward said, I frequently hear persons in their old age say how they wish they would have lived if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so I won't think that way. It's a good resolution. Fast forward the tape of your life. What will it be like to stand at the judgment and say, I did nothing with what Solomon taught me about the fleeting of life. Now we just highlight this. Look at what he says in verse 2. Do this. Get right with God before the sun, the light, the moon, the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. There's just nothing to look forward to. Just don't have anything to look forward to. In the day, verse 3, that the watchmen of the house tremble. The watchmen are is a metaphor for your, for your hands. That they, They're the ones that stick out if you're going to fall. They're the ones that protect you. They start to tremble. You've seen older people whose hands tremble. And the mighty men stoop. This is refers to the weakening of the legs. How about this? And the grinding ones, that's your teeth, stand idle. They don't move much because they're few. There's not many of them. They all fall out. One of the unfortunate facts of life are, are teeth and dentists. Um, isn't it interesting we begin life on baby food and we end life on baby food? And those who look through windows grow dim. This is obviously the loss of keen eyesight. You can follow easily the disintegration of your eyes. From reading glasses, which I used to have, to permanent glasses, which I'm supposed to have, to bifocals, which I also had, to trifocals, which I have right now, then to a big dog and a white cane. I remember just saying, man, my arms aren't long enough. Can't read that. Oh, there it is. Your eyes start going. Verse 4. And the doors in the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the, the daughters, laughters of song, sorry, will sing. Daughters of song will sing softly. This is the strangest of all phenomenons in older people. Some things are really loud and some things are they can't hear. My grandmother, man, she was so deaf. Called her mamma, 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 mamma. Yeah, what? And then she'd be sitting there and she'd say, someone turn that faucet off. What faucet? Faucet leaking in the other side of the house. How did, how did she hear that? She didn't hear what I'm yelling at her, but she heard that over the, Just bizarre. I don't explain it. How about music in your grandparents, maybe even your parents? It's too loud, it's too low, it's too loud, it's too low, it's too loud, it's too low, it's too loud, it's too low. You say, you just have issues, mom and dad. Verse 5, furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and terrors on the road. Heightened sense of danger. This is again, Mamma. She lived with us for a while, my grandmother. She was just crack up. She used to warn me every time I went out. Ricky, be careful. Okay. I start to go, no, no, Ricky, be careful out there. Okay. I'll drive safely. No, no, there's people out there. She said this one to me. There's people out there. And they'll get you. Just afraid of everything. The almond tree blossoms. The almond tree blossoms a bright, brilliant white, which is happening on the temples of my forehead and my hair. Your hair turns gray. The grasshopper just drags himself along. Takes you a while to get what you're going. I remember seeing my granddad get up to go anywhere, and it was, it was like a, a hilarious comedy. He would stand up, and before he moved, he would go...
dude, what are you checking? If you leave it, we'll buy you another one. Let's just go. The caperberry is ineffective. Caperberry is a little bit like capers and olive. It means you lose your sense of taste. Watching, watching my granddad, he would eat the sour apples and salt. I know, it's a southern thing. And I remember what he'd he go. You could just see the salt piled up. My glands would just hurt watching him do that. For a man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Welcome to your funeral. Edwards. Resolve to think much on all occasions of my own dying and the common circumstances which attend death. Verse 6. Where the silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed. A picture of the inability of money to do anything about growing old and dying. No health club will save your life. Stop your aging. The pitcher by the well will be shattered. The will of the cistern is crushed again. The fact is underlined that once death happens, there's no putting it back together. There's no more chances. Then the dust, verse 7, will return to the earth. The spirit will return to the God who gave it. Note the assurance of the resurrection. We will live after we die. Bottom line, there are things to worry about besides God as you get older. Let me say that again. The older you get, there are more things to worry about except God. More things to think about except God. The point is deal with God today. Deal with God while you're young. Deal with God now. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. Are you ready to live now for the Savior? Or are you ready to die? I want you to put your seatbelts on for some strong language, okay? I'm going to let my, my hero, Jonathan Edwards, say this to you. This is serious stuff. He said this in a sermon to the high school students in his congregation. He used to preach to them occasionally. He'd pull them aside and just preach to them. This is some excerpts from one of his sermons he preached to his 15 to 18 year olds. Ready? Here we go. People who are still in their youth haven't committed so much sin and haven't provoked God to the degree that they will have done if they put off seeking salvation. Through God's, though God's mercy is sovereign, and suffices for a pardon for all sin, yet the more a person's guilt is, the more danger is there that God will be provoked to leave that person in their sin. This is a man who is a staunch Calvinist, but who says, even though God's sovereign over salvation, know this, the more you sin, the more you're going to avoid dealing with God. The longer you go in sin, the longer you're going to go in avoiding God. He also said this, Make religion, and by that he meant biblical Christianity. Make religion the business of your youth. Improve this opportunity for seeking your God for salvation. You are all children of wrath. Ever since you came into the world. And you're not at peace with God. The great God is angry with you. 
you are exposed to eternal destruction in hell with the devil and his angels. Be beseeched to improve this opportunity in good earnest to be engaged in that great work of seeking your salvation. I don't know that I can put it any better than Mr. Edwards did. You know what he's saying? God is dangerous. So, let me just talk to you just for a second as, as your friend, not just the camp speaker, as your pastor, just as a friend. Can I? Some of you are on your way to an eternal hell and destruction. Some of that group of people know it. And you're frightened about it. And there are things that, that are putting off, making you put off dealing with God. Your pride, being embarrassed, humbling yourself, wanting to enjoy this relationship, wanting to enjoy this sin. There's another group of people who are on their way to hell and you don't know it. You're under the false delusion that you're okay, that you're saved. There's a group of those people in Matthew chapter 7 who get all the way to the judgment and look at Jesus Christ expecting Him to say, come on into heaven, enjoy your, your maker. And at that point, at their, at their greatest joy of thinking they're going into heaven, He says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they said, but, but Lord, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we do these things in your name? He says, yeah, but there was no relationship. It was all about works. It was all about stuff. It was all about easing your conscience. It wasn't about me. My prayer is that some of you today, before lunch, would turn your eyes upon Jesus would stop running from Him and start running to Him. That you would dissolve your pride and say, Lord, You're more important than anything I have in this world. Because You love me, You've created me, You've given me this life, and because You sent Your Son to die in my place for my sin when He didn't deserve it and I did. And because of His resurrection, I have hope beyond this life in the eternal What will you do with the gospel? What will you do? I want you to bow your heads for a moment. And close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. We're not going to do any hand raising or aisle walking or anything like that. Very briefly, very quickly. Can I just talk to you who are believers for a moment? You've embraced the Savior. You know the Lord. Are you doing all you can to enjoy this life for His glory and His honor? Are you really living hard? Or are you just existing? If you don't know the Savior, if you've been trying to fool people, some people think you do. Some of you, everyone knows you're not a believer. What will you do in the end when it was all for nothing? Your rebellion against your parents, 
your rebellion against teachers, your lack of submission, your rotten attitude. Do you want to die with that and have that be the only legacy of your life and you'll take it with you into an eternal hell? Are you ready to die today? During your small group time, I'd like it to be occupied with one major question. Am I sure I'm ready to meet my Creator? If you're not, this camp full of fun and games will be like steam off a cup of coffee. will be gone when you leave. No lasting fruit. Father, I... want to request and beg you that you would capture the attention and hearts of believers who are not living life inside the boundaries. That they would find repentance. They would find newness. They would find forgiveness. I also ask that the people who don't know you, oh God, Only you can stir their hearts. Only you can turn them from their evil way. Convince them that you are better in life and death than anything in this life. And especially death without you. Show them what we sang. Show them your beauty. Show them your wonder. Show them how attractive you are. What an amazing Savior. What a carefully creative, comforting God we have in you. Bring salvation today so that even tonight we can rejoice in new brothers and in new sisters on the way to heaven with the rest of us. Last thing I want to tell you, when you have that discussion in a minute, be honest. Please be honest. Be honest with the Lord. Be honest with each other. And if you're not ready to receive Christ, it's okay. Just tell your group. But if you are, make this between the 11 and 12 o'clock hours on August the 3rd, 2007, the day eternity will remember. Lord, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.